Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. What's going on? It's Johnny King. Johnny King on the Johnny King Show, and I'm here with Jason King, my beloved cousin, one of the most interesting men in the world. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dos Equis, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I'll take uh, it. Yeah, he'll take it. Uh, Jason is just a couple months younger than myself, um, and he really is a very, very interesting cat. I'm so excited to have him on the, the podcast, um, and we probably won't even have enough time to talk about everything we want to talk about, because I want to talk about um, feminism, fashion, racial <laughs> justice, alien sightings, uh, misogyny, <laughs> mushrooms, childhood shenanigans, all of the above, because we've got plenty we could talk about probably for hours. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's quite the handbag. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's all the, all the things. <clears throat> so you are located. Tell the, tell the people, where are you at? Yeah, I'm currently in my tiny house up in, uh, in Seattle. Um, been here about 20 years, almost 20 years now. In the tiny house for 20 years. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. not 20, not the tiny house, but been in Seattle for almost 20 years now since uh, we graduated college. Yep. And uh, yeah, been living up here, loving it. Um, Pacific Northwest is a tough place to leave, man. I've tried a couple of times and you just keep coming back. It's too yeah. gorgeous to leave. What do, you, so. what do you, yeah, what do you love about it? I mean, you, you drive 20 minutes in any direction. <laughs> other than south but uh drive 20 minutes in any direction you're either at the ocean or um or in the mountains and so everything's super accessible uh the city itself has changed a ton since i moved in oh god i'm sorry it's all good that's how we roll um <clears throat> yeah the city itself has changed a ton since i uh since i moved here but um still has kind of maintained uh, a lot of aspects that I that I initially loved about it. Um, I'd never been here when when I moved out. Um, I never visited and just fell in love with it immediately. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's ever since Amazon moved in, it's been um, a different place. It's a lot more expensive than it used to be and all that. But uh, but it's just it's an amazing community, amazing place. I love yeah. it. Kind of crazy how something like that can shift the whole, you know, the whole entirely. Yeah. 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 And you have a ton of friends, a ton of uh, college student friends and a lot of probably new friends out there over the last 20 years, right? For sure. Yeah, yeah. So I moved out here with Trav, um, who uh, we grew up with, and um, and then several other friends who I grew up have been out here, have since moved on. Um, but yeah, I have quite a community out here. Although, you know, like I said, with the changing dynamics of this city, uh, a lot of my friends, a lot of my community are um service industry um bartenders musicians mm -hmm. and so everyone's getting kind of pushed further and further out so it's a little bit disparate mm -hmm. these days but um but yeah really it i feel super fortunate i don't i don't know a ton of people um at our age who have like a really vibrant community of of people and um some with kids and no kids and artists musicians uh it's really an inspiring group to be around and uh 
yeah, it's kind of unique to just have such a such a, a kind of vast community of, of really talented creative people. Yeah, yeah, and I can I mean that's when I th- think about character traits <laughs> about you, that's kind of what it fits into, you know, because you've done a lot of different things over the last twenty years. Tell tell the listeners a little bit of what you've been into over that time period and man i've done i've done everything i mean i i I don't know if this is um to you know for good or for ill but um you know i was i was never one of those dudes who knew exactly who you know what i wanted to do um i had a pretty firm grasp of who i was but um but professionally i just uh you know i've always been envious of those people who have or just an immediate sense of who they want to be or what they want to do. And that wasn't me. And, uh, and so I've spent a lot of time kind of exploring and trying different things. Um, I started out uh, pursuing music. I was a audio engineer, mix engineer, um, blew out my right ear and now tinnitus. So that dream kind of died Um, service industry. And then I've done, the corporate thing I've done manual labor. I was in training to be an arborist. I have, uh, own my own business, a marketing consultancy, uh, yoga instructor, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until really the last kind of four or five years that I found what feels to be kind of my niche, um, or at least, uh, you know, a pathway towards it. Um, and it was totally unlikely too. I, I had been running my own business and uh, I moved out to the woods. I had a cabin, uh, a from cabin out on on about 10 acres out in uh, Belfair, which is like an hour and a half, take a ferry um, from downtown Seattle to um, a town called Bremerton. And it's like half an hour outside of there. So I was like out in the sticks, spent a year there by myself and um, just kind of was interested. I knew I was never really all that good at being alone and spending time by myself, but I wanted to be, um, better at it. And so I moved out there kind of with that intention and that was a pivotal year. It was the best. I mean, I'm dying to get back out to the country someday, but, um, couldn't make a living out there. Um, because, well, I could, I was doing what I was doing, um, online, but I'll really, all I was doing was helping people buy more shit and it was so unfulfilling. And, um, even though I was making better money than I'd ever made it, just, I couldn't keep doing it. Yeah. So I moved back to the city to kind of figure things out and tried to start a nonprofit, spent about two years doing that, never got it off the ground. And in the aftermath of that, um, a friend, I was still kind of, uh, you know, treading water, figuring out what was next. And a, uh, a friend of mine, or actually someone I didn't know all that well, but someone we went to school with, um, had moved out here with her husband. They worked at Amazon. They had just had a newborn and she had intended to be a stay at home mom. Uh, but realized pretty quickly by about three months that just she couldn't, she wanted to go back to work. She really missed it in a way that she didn't anticipate. And so she uh, said, Hey, I know that you're good with kids. Um, are you interested in, in, you know, just until you figure out what's next, do you want to um, be the caretaker for our daughter? And so we met up for coffee. I met, met the little girl and she was three months old at the time. And, uh, it seemed like as good an opportunity as any. And, um, and so I was like, yeah, you know, why not for, for the time being? (laughs) Yeah. 
And then, you know, day one, it was the best fucking job I ever had. I loved it. Um, I've always wanted to be a dad. Uh, it hasn't been in the cards for me so far, but um, I've always loved kids and particularly babies and infants. And uh, I was kind of down and out at the time and was having a rough go of it. And I was feeling kind of depressed. And uh, it was like the most cathartic, most rewarding experience to spend all day, every day with a baby. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, so that was the beginning of my journey. And since then, it's kind of led in a crazy direction. I've now become um, a birth and postpartum doula, a certified childbirth educator. I just got certified as a prenatal yoga instructor. Mm. So I've been supporting uh, women and their partners through pregnancy and, and the aftermath and um, bringing baby home and all of that. And, uh, and since then I've kind of, in the last few months I'm shifting and what I'm finding is that, you know, there are a million resources out there for, uh, new moms and very, very few out there for new dads. And, uh, so I'm finding that uh, all this education that I've had and experience in the birth room and supporting pregnant people is coming really in handy. I'm finding that, um, what I'm really kind of moving towards is, is helping to support dads as they step into fatherhood, helping them support their partners through pregnancy, labor and delivery, mm -hmm. um, newborn care, and just kind of those first few steps into that journey of, of fatherhood. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to see how, where that goes as well. Yeah. And it's been interesting just because over the last couple of years with me <clears throat> stepping into the men's stuff as well, the men's work, let's just say, quote unquote, you know, you've been there to say, Hey, and you know, support me or challenge me on different things. Cause a lot of it, it's been new for, for me and kind of using my voice and educating myself. And, and yet here's another aspect of it that I'm passionate about it too, that I'm not, he hasn't, haven't even thought about touching in terms of fatherhood, but I think we have that in common very much. So in terms of wanting to have children and, you know, just, just the loving being around infants and kids and just having so much fun and that sort of thing, you know, but it's, sure. it's pretty fun to see you stepping into that, which is so needed. Cause you're right. And in, in so many different ways, men just don't necessarily either reach out or they don't have the community or it's just that right. Perfect storm for a lot of guys feeling like they're on their own. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's kind of beyond just helping individual guys, kind of what I'm looking to toward, uh, the direction I'm hoping to move is is really, like you said, kind of creating community, giving a space for, um, you know, expectant dads and new dads, dads in general, to, to have a space to talk about, like, what's coming up, what's challenging, what are their worries and concerns, um, where they feel like they're coming up short. And so <clears throat> not necessarily me providing all the answers, but just creating a space for dads who are going through the same experience that kind of communicate with one another. Um, hear each other, feel each other and all that. So it's pretty, pretty powerful. And like I said, very needed. And I think it's pretty, it's just, like I said, it's a cool space to be getting into um, with guys being more and more open to asking for advice or asking for support, listening. Yeah. There's a really yearning for it. You know, yeah. I don't know. Did you see that video the other day? Um, I think your brother Pete posted it and I posted it as well, but um there was a dude who uh this black dude dad who's uh walking down the street shooting himself and he's talking about um kind of the challenge how how excited he is about being he's got this baby in his hand he's talking about how excited he is <clears throat> that a lot of other he's got a um a vlog uh about fatherhood and he and his partner are raising their daughter 
and he's saying that like you know all these guys are are hitting him up and saying like oh i'm so excited about what you're doing i'm so excited to be a dad and he just taught he just keeps it so real and talks about like yeah it is the most incredible experience but it's also like really challenging and it's so important that we um that you know this is really hard work and the only way to be a good dad is to make sure that you're like taking care of your old traumas make sure you're seat before you become a dad start tying up some of those loose ends and doing that hard work and he just hits in you know a span of like a minute and a half he just hits like all these really important areas but i didn't see that i think it speaks to this idea that men in general are um i feel like it's a a, a new day when when dads or, or men and particularly men who are becoming fathers are recognizing that like man for all the good that our dads did there there were so many um that 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 generation and really all generations beforehand um were lacking in a lot of areas as well and that there's this momentum for dads to become more you know all the work that you're doing yeah helping men to be um, more in touch with their feelings and their emotions to be vulnerable and lean on one another talk through their issues all these things that like our dads had no idea, still have no idea how to do, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we, we share and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I can speak for myself. I mean, one of the bigger, or the biggest wound for me was kind of my relationship or lack thereof with my dad growing up, you know, mm -hmm. and our dads being brothers, you know, and the, the complications in their relationship, how that overflowed and affected us as children, you know, not only as children, but then our relationships with each other, because you and I were best buds. And then that whole, the family dysfunction issues kind of drove us apart in different ways. And it's been interesting to see how just we as adults now have had to <clears throat> challenge ourselves to, to grow, to heal, you know, and to, to empathize with varying experiences of our parents, our fathers, right? Yeah. Siblings. Um, the world at large and it's just kind of interesting to see how we're both kind of doing work that inner I think interweaves the call it the wound or just the experiences of, of wanting to make sure that we pass the baton to the next generation better than how we were handed it if that makes absolutely. sense absolutely yeah yeah, absolutely so it's, it's pretty cool that you're doing what you're doing I'm excited for you so Thank you. yeah it's going to be big um, tell me go. I mean if we rewind a little bit I mean you've in terms of uh, feminism, you've, correct me if I'm wrong, you've, you've said that you are a feminist. For correct? sure. Okay. Yeah. Explain to, I mean, because I'm, I'm really ignorant on a lot of these topics that you and I talk about because you're so much more well-read and educated on a lot of these things. But tell me and those that are listening, like when you say that you as a dude are a feminist, what does that exactly mean? Um, well, I'll start by saying that I'm... I'm a flawed feminist. Um, you know, I think when people say that they're a feminist, a lot of people hear, um, uh, you know, virtue signaling um, or this like attempt to uh, this like this feigning of, of righteousness or something like that. And, and I can say for sure that like, I'm, I'm a dude and I've made tons of mistakes and I have, I've, I'm kind of in the midst of this big reckoning in my own life of how I've showed up um, in the lives of the, of the women in my life and what those relationships have looked like the ways in which I have perpetuated systems that disadvantage women mm. um, that abuse women 
And I've certainly played my part in that. Uh, with that said, I've considered myself a feminist since we were 15 or 16. I mean, you probably remember I tortured you and all of our friends. Like, I don't know how or why, but at 15 years old, I started listening to Ani DeFranco. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I still like, you know, her first 10 albums I can cite. I mean, I can, I can recite back verbatim and I have no idea why I was so into her, but she's one, she was yeah. one of the most like, you know, outspoken, most vocal feminists. And that, um, for whatever reason, really appealed to me. And I think was really pivotal in, in kind of helping me recognize that like, um, the system is, it's a lot of the things that we, that we have been in the, in the kind of zeitgeist today, but with, with regard to race. Um, but the same thing, the same ideas, um, exist or the same ideas yeah the same ideas exist when it, when it comes to um sexism uh, misogyny etc just this idea of patriarchy it's not an idea this structure of patriarchy wherein um white males are at the top and anybody who isn't in that category of straight and not just white males but straight white males anybody who falls outside of that is disadvantaged to some degree or another and and um so I've just always, I'm an empathetic dude. Um, I've always been kind of a sensitive and empathetic guy. And, um, and so I have been really cognizant of that since I, a young guy. And the more, the, uh, the more that I have learned, the more I've leaned into it, the more kind of glaringly I see um, these places. Um, and, and, you know, you and I both went, have gone through like, uh, MITT went to transformational, transformational training. I mean, it was a real eye opener for me, blew, blew my mind really and broke my heart. But if you remember, there's a point where at the like first day they, um, invited all the, anybody who had been sexually abused or sexually harassed to stand up. And there's a room of 200 people. Yeah. And, um, and more than half of the people stood up most of, you know, 90% of them women, um, but it was incredible to me that like more than half of the women in there, like way more than half of the women in there, um, stood up. Yeah. And so these are the sorts of things that like, I'm aware of how, um, we raise our daughters to, uh, to be on, uh, on alert about, you know, this don't walk around by yourself late at night and don't wear clothes that are too revealing and all these things instead. And, 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 um, and just being cognizant of the fact that so many women in my life have articulated that like, yeah, they, they have an ingrained fear of men and that is problematic. And, and so that's been um, a big part of why I want, I'm doing the work that I'm doing is because I, I feel like, um, you know, in the same way that racism is not black people's problem or people of uh, the problem of people of color, it's white people's problem to solve. And the same, same thing, in my opinion is true of of misogyny and sexism it's it's like this is this, this is our problem not theirs and so we got to start at the root yeah there's a lot of work to be done there's yeah. a lot of work to be done and i remember i was at a uh, a workshop to a different one than mitt but you know the crowd was asked and there's thousands of people there like how many of you um and just asking men how many of you have felt uh you know unsafe or your life was at in danger within the last year, you know, maybe 50% of men raise their hands and like, how about in the last month? It was like, 
one, two, you know, mm-hmm. last week, not a single hand. Right. Mm-hmm. And then of course he does it with the women and you know, the, the number of hands that were raised still that felt unsafe within the last 24 hours was staggering. Right. Yeah. And I think that was the first time. And that's what it really is for, I think uh, for me, it's just coming to an awareness of all these conversations, topics, things that I just, again, privileged in one way or another, just being who I am, a white male, um, so unaware of it, you know, and you were 25 years, you know, ahead of, uh, ahead of me, at least in terms of like, I'm just getting aware of this in like probably say the last five years, if not last three years in terms of just various conversations. And of course, all the stuff going on with George Floyd and all the protesting, it's like, just finally is, and this stuff is not new. Right. It's just, it's just interesting how it's like, we, how we choose to, or choose or whatever the word is to, to finally awaken to the shits that's been going on kind of below the radar or not below the radar, very much in front of us, you know, um, but turning a blind eye to it for a lifetime until all of a sudden something clicks, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, and I do remember you being all into to Ani DeFranco and, and, I think you even for one of my birthdays, you gave me one of her CDs and I like really, tr- I really listened to it, like wanting to like it. And I was like, I don't know if she's my, but I also remember that there's a big part of it having to do with feminism that I just didn't, I didn't even get and could have easily asked you, but it just wasn't, it wasn't even like something I could have even, I don't know. I wasn't even there ready to explore it. It was just yeah. high school girlfriends yeah. sports like <laughs> yeah, we had other stuff. things going on yeah, right yeah yeah so um what can i say but but that's really really cool and it's just interesting to see how those things from your childhood or teenagehood whatever is all kind of tied into built upon into where you're at now but now you're working with men in much the same way that i mean just because there's so much need of progress and evolution that men need to make i think yeah all men of all colors and races, of course, but especially white straight guys. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, cause like you said, it, it, um, when we, uh, rec, when we recognize, I think the assumption until we allow ourselves to challenge our own assumptions, um, we believe that, or we want to believe that everybody walks through the world with an experience that looks and feels like ours. And we have, it's hard to make that leap Mm -hmm. to finally recognize like, Oh, the fact that I don't remember the last time I didn't feel safe walking down the street, or I know exactly what to do. You know, there are very few things I need to do in order to walk in any place in the, you know, in, in this country, certainly where, um, wherein I can feel safe. Mm -hmm. That is just not the experience of most people. And, Mm -hmm. um, but allowing that, um, it, it uh, you know, I think we're, we're seeing that um, in, the wor- in the world and in this moment of the protest and everything, we're seeing this resistance to even allowing ourselves to see, like, this is plain as day, right? Like, w- there is all kinds of, there are, are all kinds of efforts to, like, you, to cherry pick statistics to, like, counteract arguments about systemic racism and um there you know there's this back and forth when in reality like if people just took a step back there's no denying what our eyes see you know like we can see with our own eyes that things are not equal and that they never have been and that people walk around in this world without 
um, the privilege of feeling safe no matter where they go. And that is something that everybody should feel. And, uh, and the fact that they don't is a problem. And if we don't take it up upon ourselves, we've seen this for generations now. Um, and, and, and black leaders have been saying for generations, if, you know, until white people, um, like the moderate middle of the road, white person decides to make this a priority, it's not going to go away because again, it's our problem, not theirs. Mm -hmm. They're the recipients of it. Right. When I, I guess I've said this, uh, on a podcast, but also in several conversations with some of my buddies here in, in Denver that are black. And I was like, man, if it weren't for you, I probably wouldn't care. I wouldn't care because it's a faceless entity. It's just black people, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, eh, you know, and, and up to this point, I haven't had a ton of black friends just living in West County, St. Louis, and even Denver is pretty darn white. Um, but now with several really good buddies that are black, I'm like, I actually have a name, a face, a personality, a love and appreciation for you as a brother. That's so much deeper than just, you know, your skin color that this has now given me more reason to, to learn, to educate myself and to, to change things and to have this, these conversations. But it just goes to show that like that, I think I'm no different in the sense of like how people are, as it relates to human behavior, they're like, they don't really, they're not going to change unless they have a real personal reason to change. And so I, how do you go about getting, like you said, that middle of the road white male or white people in general to shift when maybe they don't have a whole lot of black friends. They live in white neighborhoods. They don't have a whole lot, you know, like it's just more the same. And then I get a lot of people commenting to me, like trying to rationalize why, all lives matter and let's look at the conservative side of things i'm like this is not a i'm not trying to make a political statement here i'm just trying to say like we're all human beings like should should to your point shouldn't we all feel equality and safety and like isn't that what we're moving towards but then they're trying to push back on me i'm trying to i just get confused with like why don't where's the where where's the resistance why is there resistance to this idea yeah you know, like yeah. i said like the, we can see with our own eyes that the experience is not the same right um and so you can um you know you can you can find statistics to to kind of uh back whatever your belief is but again oh. we stand back and just are honest with ourselves the experience is not the same and that's not okay Right. Um, as to what we can do about it, I mean, you know, to be honest, I, I, I don't have answers um, for that. I, 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 um, I wish that I did, and I'm certainly seeking them, and I'm starting with myself and yeah. continuing to learn and, and unlearn and, and um, read what I can and challenge my own experience, my own beliefs, have difficult conversations with people in my life. Um, but in the end, that's not enough. Uh, I think that there needs there, there needs to be action beyond ourselves, um, and, and so I'm still kind of navigating that myself and figuring out where where my place lies. I do think that, like speaking to what you were saying, it um, unfortunately, like <clears throat> not everybody has the same degree, just same degree of of empathy and compassion, like. Mm -hmm um chemically biologically we aren't all wired the same way i happen to be like super on this end of the spectrum i'm just like to a fault empathetic 
Um, but I recognize that not everybody is that way. And so I know that there are, you know, like you said, it took, um, it takes like having people in your life or really putting a, a, a name and a face to it to start to um, internalize some of that, that emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And so I, what I'm hoping to do with my project is um, to start um, sharing stories. I've been kind of mapping this out, but um going in and, and interviewing and, um, you know, doing kind of a, a program where we go in to dads, to the homes of different dads in, um, in all kinds of different, uh, environments. Um, and, uh, you know, every, you know, black dads, white, Asian, um, low income, uh, dads who are foster dads, adoptive dads, raising kids who are LGBTQ or dads who are LGBTQ, um, raising straight kids. There's all these different angles. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the more that we can like uh, normalize the experience of people who don't look and, look and act like us, the more we can empathize, the more that we can see their humanity. Um, because it, it's no secret that, um, that a lot of the places, uh, a lot of the regions that have the most um, problems with racism and uh, homophobia are places that have very few um, opportunities for, uh, well, that's actually not true. Um, yeah, so, I think that what we can see pretty consistently is that a lot of people who are, who do are um, homophobic or who are racist have very little uh, direct interaction with the people who are the re recipients of their <laughs> hatred, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, um, that's where I'm starting. I think um, storytelling is extremely important. Yeah, and, uh, and so I think, um, beyond just like picking people's brains about what, how they think, but really going in and, and getting a snapshot of their life and um, sh showing what it looks like to, to navigate the world as a, you know, as a dad who's raising a young black boy, like that's they're that, that they have challenges that we could never dream of. Yeah. We have to have conversations we don't have to have. Um, any, any dad who's raising a, a preteen girl, like is having to have conversations that, that we shouldn't be having to have, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think I'm excited about bringing humanity through storytelling, um, about people who aren't necessarily in the, um, in the spotlight all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, remind me when you get off the, the podcast to put you in touch with one of my buddies who's, um, Hispanic. He's gay. He's um, adopted several children, and he's just taken in um, adopting a, a transgender teenager. And all the he and I just chatted the other day with how like he's he's loving it, and yes, talk about a freaking challenge. I'm like, oh man, absolutely unreal. So he, might, he might be a good guy to chat about. He's uh, yeah, he's a really good guy. But besides that, I I think um, I. <sighs> It is. I mean, whether we're talking about race or we're talking about like, it's it just, again, it's human behavior that, oh, I'm not all that passionate about a cause like, um, you know, curing Alzheimer's or breast cancer until it actually affects me. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, oh, shit, you know, this took my mom. So now I'm a lot more passionate about 
breast cancer or something like that, right? Um, and so I just, it's, it makes sense, but it's like, okay, how do you actually um, generate the leverage on those that maybe it's not all that applicable because we have to get more of a, a groundswell if, if we want change, otherwise it's not going to happen. You know? Totally, yeah. So, um, and I think for me, it's just what having, having the conversations without, without ostracizing people, without necessarily saying like, I'm not wanting to make people right or wrong. I'm just wanting to have healthy conversations, even for my own benefit to grow. Cause I'm, I'm big part of the, call it the problem or just, I'm not, I'm not going to even put blame other than just like, it's been my own kind of, uh, what, uh, lack of education and mm -hmm. naivete that has driven a lot of what we're seeing and perpetuates it. So if it's going to change, like you said, it's got to at least first start with change here. So if you're listening to this or watching this on the podcast, like what can you do, you know, to, to, educate yourself a little bit. Jason put me in touch and I, I've mentioned it on previous podcasts in terms of just what's going on in the world right now with um, all the protests, like to watch the documentary called 13th, you know, and then the most recent one, I'm not your Negro, like so many good, there's so many good things out there that to me kind of opened my eyes to, oh gosh, like conversations, topics, education that I was not even aware of. Right. So totally. a lot of good, resources out there a lot of good books a lot of good podcasts you've got so much good stuff that you're i feel like you're constantly on the forefront front lines if you will to educate yourself which is pretty cool thanks yeah yeah i um yeah i i, I think that um you know that there's a there's a that um something i've read a couple of times recently um from different black leaders uh is that like this idea of it really their concern is not whether you consider yourself racist or not their concern is whether you, or not you call yourself an anti-racist we were all you know in in terms of in this conversation about blame um i think that there uh, are a lot of people out there who are feeling like whoa i like i didn't I wasn't a slave owner. I didn't do this or, you know, I'm not doing anything to perpetuate this. Um, not recognizing that we were, we all have our own biases um, that are implicit, that we were, we were raised in a society that has these um, elements. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's not important whether or not we consider ourselves racist or not. What's important is whether we consider ourselves anti-racist, which mm -hmm. is an action, right? Um, we all have, we've all, uh, been in, we've all been raised in this society and what's important is that we take responsibility to see where it lives in ourselves and, and to what degree and what can we do to dismantle and unlearn that. Like, that's the important mm -hmm. part. It's, mm -hmm. it, I, I don't give a fuck if who, who it, it to, uh, about calling somebody racist. Like, right. I don't care about that. What I care about is like, are you taking responsibility, responsibility for yourself to find uh, an answer um, or some catharsis or some healing in yourself and your community and, and it'll grow from, you know, the hope is, and the expectation is that it will grow from there. And I think we are seeing that. This is a, a, a profound moment in time when enough people are getting on board and educating themselves. And again, that's not enough, but I think it will lead in the right direction. Yeah. It's, it's a start at least. Correct. And yeah. I, and I think I've thought those things too, you know, just feeling this guilt. I'm like, why do I feel white, white <laughs> man guilt, you know? And mm -hmm. then to, to, 
to think the same thing of like, well, I mean, aren't we so far beyond slavery? And I wasn't, you know, like, what the hell? And then when you really look at like, no, we've inherited a system that was founded in, you know, by a, a bunch, a bunch of, you know, individuals in, in a time that's so different than it is now, but it's still the foundation in which we kind of yeah, we, operate we, society. We, you and I have talked before about like it, if we look at our own lives, we can see that um, trauma is generational, right? Mm-hmm. I know that you, the, our dads who are brothers mm-hmm. were raised by our grandfather. I, I interviewed my dad um, a couple of years ago about just childhood growing up mm-hmm. in the fifties and um and particularly his relationship with with back with our grandfather and what i found most striking was that um you know i kept my dad and i are so different my dad is such a um uh such a like very typical midwestern conservative businessman of which none of that resonates for me mm-hmm. um but I have always yearned to like have a more emotional connection and to really like understand my dad um, to understand one another. And that's proven really, really difficult. And I, I've been resentful of my dad for that for a long time. And it wasn't until this conversation with him about his dad, when I realized like, it's not in my dad's DNA in the way that it is mine. Like it's just a natural thing for me to want to talk about feelings and emotions my dad isn't wired that way and he was never given the tools from his parents and particularly from his dad every conversation that um, we had and i kept digging like i want to hear more about your emotional relationship with your dad and the only thing that he kept coming back to was well you know he was such an amazing worker he really taught us how to work he really taught us how to make a living he really taught us how the you know the value of a work ethic and every conversation came back to that and he's like i kept um asking and asking and eventually i was like dad like i don't know if you're hearing me i want to know about you know what was your emotional connection with him and he was like i don't know what you're looking for like <laughs> there's not much to talk about you know we he taught us how to work Um, and which isn't to say isn't to totally dilute their relationship down to that one element, but it's to say that like resoundingly what my dad took away from their relationship was, was that. And, um, and so, uh, that has had effects. Like, I think that directly affected the fallout that your dad and my dad had Mm -hmm. that everything was defined by work and power and prestige and money Mm -hmm. and um and now you and i are dealing with the ramifications of that two generations later Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so if we can if we take it to a personal level and examine in our own lives intergenerational trauma and recognize how you know the experience of our grandparents um influenced our parents and how that has influenced who we are mm-hmm. and what we're railing against that's or possible learning yeah. from then we can put that on a grander scale and recognize that like for a country that was established on these principles um with these institutions it's not mm-hmm. surprising that we're, we're still seeing a lot of detritus and a lot of like decay and toxicity mm-hmm. that hasn't been cleansed from the system like that's that's pretty easy to see, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, and I think about too, in terms of just going, making the, the connection between 
our experience and what we're seeing in the country, it's like, you know, I, I, I too kind of used to resent my dad for just not really being around much, just mm-hmm. being a workaholic. Um, and yet I also see it as now I kind of see it as a, a way that I can effectively blame him <laughs> or, or, or give gratitude because in some sense I can take the good for the good, but I was so much raised by my mom. Um, and I think you and I both are, I, I just don't know if I would be as empathetic or as well-rounded in different ways if it weren't for the fact that I really didn't have, to, or if I had to go and unlearn a lot of character traits that my dad <laughs> passed on from yeah. our grandfather, you know, and I don't know, I can't remember if it was our Nana or Baca's parents, but I know there's alcoholism, a lot of abuse there as well. So it's just, it's just substance abuse. And, you know, we know that our grandparent, uh, at least, you know, your dad and my dad's father used to get into fist fights with their oldest uncle. And it's like, dude, that I didn't experience a whole lot. You know, you might have a little bit of that in your childhood, but it's like, I thank God I was protected from some of that to where I get to choose who I am and what, what masculinity looks like for me, just for me. Right. Um, and then do what I can to, to better the future generations in that sense, in the same way that like, okay, I've taken that responsibility to heal myself. And then let's look at the, the grander system and right. the culture that we live in, the society that we live in, which I think is more the work that I'm doing now, right? Totally. So, yeah. As I continue to heal, because um, mm-hmm. I think that never necessarily ends. So, right. no. yeah, all really valuable points, though. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's things that, uh, again, if you're just listening to this and you just want to get started, it can be very overwhelming. It can be very well overwhelming to look back on your life and to look at all, you know, think about trying to heal the, the broken parts within you, let's just say. Um, but even more so, like, systemically as a, as a nation, it can be like, well, where do we freaking start? It, it has to start with you, you know, with, with you as an individual, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Recognizing um, the places where you're um, – broken or where you're challenged and uh and doing doing the best that you can to heal that and i i hate to continue coming back to because not certainly not everybody will um ever have that journey of parenthood but um but many many of us will and i think that you know i've been i've been thinking a lot about how like I think there's a lot of value and it's it's super important that we work to like dismantle the um and examine the toxicity of these structures whether it's yeah. racism, patriarchy, etc. um and think about dismantling them from the top down. Mm-hmm. Uh but I think it's exponent will be exponentially more successful by working from the bottom up by raising new generations without um with as little of that um uh, trauma, uh, as possible. And so that starts with healing ourselves so that we aren't, you know, just what, like you were saying, you didn't have that in your household. And so it's less likely that, that your kids will, um, have that either. Mm -hmm. And so as we're going through and and recognizing that, like, we're not healing solely for our own good, it's not a a purely selfish motive, Mm -hmm. but that it, um, that it is passed down from generation to generation and it resonates out into our, our, our immediate friends and family and our broader communities as well. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, shifting gears entirely. Yeah. What would, uh, cause we could talk about that for another hour, I'm sure or two, but um, what would be one of your, 
more fun memories of our shenanigans over the years. If you think oh, about our childhood or yeah, one um, that come to mind. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I I just remember a ton of like. Um, I mean, I remember going over to like having a, you know, having sleepovers when we we're like 10, 11, 12 years old and like sneaking out of the house and just like, oh, I would say that maybe like Halloween, you know, we like that was had very little to do with trick or treating and everything to do with just like being allowed to be out at night, just running wild, you know, and there was such a freedom in that. And like, yeah. we just raised hell and we didn't yeah. do anything bad, but just fucking around and yeah. There was something so liberating about that, about just like being allowed to be out at night, running around, doing whatever we wanted. <laughs> was it, what wasn't it you? I believe it was you who thought you were gonna during Halloween one one year that you're gonna try to leap over that uh, tree. That tree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like a six foot, you know, evergreen tree. Yeah. In like a baby tree, just 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 getting off the ground, and yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly. <laughs> you literally just took the top right <laughs> off. I don't know exactly what you were thinking of how you're gonna oh. leap over that thing, but <laughs> no, I don't. It was a good effort. It was a Thank good you. Effort. In one of my previous podcasts, I just talked about uh, me telling the story of us trick or treating uh in your old neighborhood and i was telling the whole class during art class how we were trick-treating and just getting all the candy from the condoms we we're going from condom to condom to condom <laughs> and how the teacher was like wait what are you talking about you mean yeah. condos I'm like yeah condominiums <laughs> oh man i remember too just walking around outside at your old place and like finding frogs everywhere and just chucking them up in the air and letting them bounce <sighs> off the pavement i don't know what was so great about that killing frogs I mean, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just for no reason, just throwing frogs as high in the air as we could and watching them. And I remember then picking them up off the ground and putting them in people's mailboxes. So they just, what? What the fuck is that all about? I don't know. What? Yeah, I don't know what we were expressing at time in, in our age, but yeah. Not not the greatest. I guess I guess we could be certainly doing worse, but yeah, putting fireworks down in the uh, <clears throat> in the sewer drains and yeah, we'd have a lot of we'd have a lot of firework wars, right? Yeah, that was yeah. fun too. Yeah, Roman yeah. candles. And... I don't think it's, it's. I saw a meme the other day that was something about like uh, I forget exactly what it was, but it was referencing the, this the the fact that like. And we hear it even more from like kids that grew up in the seventies, but growing up in the eighties and particularly in the nineties, like parents would leave us home alone all the time mm -hmm. and kids just aren't left home alone anymore from what I can gather. I'm not a parent, so I don't know. I don't know at what age, but I remember like we were staying home alone when we were like nine, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah all the time. Yeah. And that's just not something that, that they do anymore. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it is kind of interesting. And what would I do? I just either play video games or watch TV or go shoot some baskets or play in the totally. woods. It's like, it wasn't a whole lot we could really get into otherwise, I guess. But yeah. Um, well, recently I had uh, my buddy Sean in town and I asked him, I was like, hey, man, do you, do you believe in aliens? He's like, uh, 
I believe in the idea that we're not alone, but I don't believe that we've been visited by aliens. I was like, all right, you got to watch this Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucers documentary on Netflix. So he watched it and he was mind blown, you know, Bob Lazar. Oh, dude, you got to see it. Bob Lazar is a super smart, like rocket scientist who mm-hmm. worked at Los Alamos. He also worked uh, in S4, which is like an area of Area 51. And he was brought in to work on the propulsion technology that they were finding. And they, they had nine different UFOs, the government, right? What? This is back 30 years ago, right? Okay. Right. So ultimately, he's talking about this anti-gravity um, and or anti-matter reactor that creates um, it, it manipulates gravity. <laughs> so the more you get into it, the more he talks about how we have. He's like he he likens it to if you if we were to go back 200, 300 years ago and drop off a motorcycle, right, mm-hmm. with the key in it. Yeah. It'd be enough poking and prodding till they probably could figure out how to turn on the motorcycle yeah. and actually ride it. Yeah. But would they be able to create a fender, you know, fix the brakes, uh, yeah. do anything? No, they didn't have the technology. Yeah. That they had learned at that point 30 years ago how to fly UFOs. So we had Navy or yeah, Air Force pilots driving around, flying around UFOs. And what they were what? attempting to, yes, it's crazy. You got to watch it, right? You, you're going to think I'm crazy until you listen do, to yeah. <laughs> Joe Rogan's podcast of, yeah. uh, of him and Bob Lazar. It's, it totally adds up, right? Mm-hmm. And then to watch another documentary called Acknowledged. Um, it's a really, really fascinating one where more or less it talks about how we are 100 years behind in technology from where we could be because of the alien technology that we found in the 1920s and 30s when the first ufos were found and apparently dug up because i think they were found in like archaeological digs which is crazy what but then the government and all of the richest of the rich families across the world oil companies and you know how there's just like 12 families that own yeah johnson johnson all yeah own the world Mm -hmm. they have suppressed all of this information because it keeps them in power. Because if we were to actually like the, the idea is that we actually have the technology to be, um, to offer free power across the world mm. with no coal, no issues to the, you know, to the environment. Like mm. it's mind boggling when you actually start to think about it, but the reason why they've suppressed it and they've killed people to suppress it. Um, Cause they even showed like 30 years ago, again, 30, 20, 30, 40 years ago, there was a guy that came out that, that had a car that effectively ran off of water. Mm-hmm. And the government kind of kiboshed it. Yeah. Because of power and everything else, they want, I don't know, it's a crazy ass documentary. I won't go into too much of it. But I want, I bring it up just because I was telling Sean about, you know, our, our experience. And I want to ask some of the other guys that were there, you know, because people are like, oh, yeah, you believe in UFOs? Have you ever seen one? I'm like, yeah. I think I have, you know, and we talked over Christmas, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Tell, tell, recount just for mm-hmm. those that are listening, recount your experience of what you and I saw. Cause we were, I don't know how old we were, 10. Yeah. Yeah. Nine, 10, 11. And I think we were younger cause we were still with, cause Pete, my, my recollection of it was that Josh and Pete were there as well, which would have meant that we were like seven. seven. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, you know, at summer camp, we, I've got, two stories for you. I don't remember if I told you the other one. 
Um, but so the first one, the one you're referring to, so we were at summer camp, um, camping out under the stars. We didn't use tents or anything. We just sleeping bag, which in the Midwest is terrible because you wake up and everything's just soaking fucking wet. It's soaking wet and there's mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. yeah. But nonetheless, um, we're all laying there and like, you know, we're under the stars and uh, all of us cousins and friends everywhere. So we're just staying up, just getting slap happy and joking around and shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think Pete, um, your brother Pete was like, what is that? And we end up all looking up and I remember that there was this um, something flying in the air that had three lights in like a triangular shape. And it would fly, um, but instead of, like, turning like a normal craft would do, it was, like, just shifting. It was just, like... Like at right angles. Yeah. Yep. It was... Without changing speed. Without changing speed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, And all of us were (laughs) kind of terrified by it. It was, like, our minds couldn't... And still can't wrap around what the fuck that was. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was my first one. But have I told you about Hart and I um, when we were still at the same camp? I don't know if I told you this. You told me this over Christmas. Just I did. You only told me six months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But tell, tell that one again. So this was when we were 18 and we're counselors. And same night we were doing like cabin cookout night. And he had the youngest cabin. I had the second youngest cabin. We were best buddies. So we like took our cabins to the same spot. Well, we got a uh, walkie-talkie came in and the, the lodge, the headquarters, um, walkie-talkied us and they're like, hey, uh, there's a storm coming in. We got to go back to the cabins. Every, bring all your campers back to the cabins. No camping out tonight. And so Hart and I were in charge of our cabin. So we told the younger counselors to take all the kids back, more or less just to give Hart and I a time to fuck off and not be with kids. Yeah. And so we're like putting out the fire and we're just kind of like biding our time and enjoying being alone and quiet. Yeah. And we're down in the middle of this gully cause they were making, this is when they were making that huge lake, but they hadn't put water into it yet. So it's this huge bowl and I'm sitting on a milk crate and we just put out the fire and it's dusk. Like the sun is, is just going down and something catches my eye off in the distance and it's this like glowing light. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And it comes down the hill and it's coming right at us. And I swear to God, every time I tell this story, the hair, the hair on my arms um, stands up. This thing comes down and it comes within 15 feet of us. And it looks like a, a, a human-like form, but it's like taller um, and super slender. And it's this like glowing white light but it looked like I said it looks like um, um, uh, the shape of a man running but it's it's like five feet off the ground and its legs are moving like it's like at a casual jog but it's flying like yeah. it's cruising and it comes down fuck my arms it goes right past us um and out of you know and up and over out um, out of sight goes up the up the other side of this crater and and t- and it goes out of sight and I watched the whole thing and I turned to Hart and he's pale white with his jaw dropped um, totally confirming I was like did you just fucking see that and he's like yeah and we like grabbed our shit and ran back to the cabin it was crazy but I still like to those th- two things combined like I have no way to explain either one of those that's yeah that's, that's, it is truly out of this world 
Yeah. Yeah, I've not I've not experienced that. I do remember the the owner of that uh, camp telling me, and I don't know if you were there too, is a, a father son Boy Scout trip, and we were all in the same tent, maybe like four of us uh, fathers and sons, and I remember uh, him telling us about how he he and his friend were walking home when they were little kids, like our age. Mm-hmm. And sh- they came and all of a sudden there was just this UFO that was like hovering just above the trees, totally quiet, yeah. tons yeah. of lights, you know, and they were just like, what the, and then the thing just went, just flew off in a heartbeat and they were so scared. They just ran home as fast as they could, yeah. you know? So that was the first thing that I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like that made me think that maybe this, that's real. But my, my experience of that first story you had was yeah, very similar. I don't remember my brother being there per se. Um, I just remember like I was laying next to you, I think. And I think, I don't know if that was me talking to you, but I remember thinking, I remember saying to you, like, do you see what I see? Yeah. And you were like, yep. And we were just kind of laying on our sleeping bags, looking up at the sky and watching these three red dots just kind of move around the sky at right angles, not going any faster or slower. And because there's, you know, but I think we, at that point, we were all supposed to be quiet. Yeah. Know, it was supposed to be sleep time. So then there started to be like murmurings and people were like some kids starting to get upset, maybe a little crying because people were all watching this because we're all laying on our backs, like looking up at the stars. Totally. You know? yeah. And I remember the counselors being like, hey, it's, it's okay, guys. It's, it's, uh, there's an Air Force base nearby. I'm sure there's just something that they're testing. Uh-huh. But you know that they must have been like, what the hell is that? You yeah, know? Totally. Seven yeah. or eight year olds. And we can make enough sense of it. Be like, that's not, yeah, that's not a normal thing to see in the sky, the way yeah. that it was moving and how fast. And I just remember thinking the lights were, they were so far up in the sky, mm-hmm. but the amount of speed that they were moving across the sky, like if you see a jet that's at, you know, 38,000 feet where it normally cruises it takes a while to get across the night sky, right? 100%, yeah. Obviously, the lower it is, the faster it would go by. But those three lights were so far up there, but the the rate of speed that they were moving across the sky, when Mm -hmm. it finally went, just went off into the distance, I was like, what? I remember not being able to sleep for like hours. I was like, what the hell was that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mind-blowing. It really is, yeah. You got to watch the the Bob Lazar. Yeah, what's it called again? Bob Bob Lazar, yeah, Area 51 and Flying Saucers. It's on Netflix. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a little, it has a little bit of a cheesy narration to it. But other than that, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So if you you don't believe in UFOs or you don't want to believe in UFOs, don't watch it because it'll pretty much convince (laughs) you. Yeah. When I think the Ozarks where camp was, I think the Ozarks, if I'm not mistaken, there's like, it's the, second most f- frequent ufo sightings in the nation the other is like roswell somewhere in texas um, but i think ozarks like it is second most um ufo yeah. sightings in the nation i think i think they talk about in the documentary that like the majority of all of the sightings are along some parallel some longitude or latitude around the world and they all show up primarily around the same area of of the the globe right <laughs> that yeah, shit trips me out i love it yeah it's it's really it's really trippy but even in the podcast um of joe rogan and bob lazar he talks about that bob lazar saw um saw bodies aliens 
alien bodies that they had, uh, you know, that were dead and frozen. So, uh, and not only that, but you should just look at Joe Rogan's stuff. He's, the Pentagon has been releasing more and more, probably five years ago that the Navy released all of their footage of unidentified flying objects. So, you know, by jets and jets following these UFOs and interactions with flighter, you know, normal flights, commercial flights. Um, there's so much stuff out there that they're kind of declassifying a lot of stuff to prove that we not only know about this, but we've had interaction with aliens and the, te the technology is where it's mind boggling because it would change our society in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. Because he said the majority of the cost of everything, this entire house and everything is, is all in the cost of the transportation or the production of the goods. Right. It's all about burning coal, mm -hmm. whatever it is, natural gas. Um, and if we actually had a technology like they do, because he's like this, what, what Bob Lazar talks about is this reactor that's in this UFO. Um, never, it doesn't emit any heat. He's like anything, even like the, whatever, like a, anything that we have, like this computer, everything I can feel right now, it's hot, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It emits, emits heat because it's creating, he's like, this technology is beyond us. It's ridiculous. And he's like, the, the, the technology that they have would be absolutely game changing for us. Yeah. That's wild. So, That's wild. Yeah. I, I have a, I like, yeah, I need to watch it because, you know, I, I, to a certain extent, I'm a rationalist and like, especially with all these like totally. unbelievable amount of conspiracy theories um all the time but particularly right now yeah. uh it you know yeah i i i have a hard time reckoning some of that but also like seeing see, just seeing those things that i saw at, at lends credence to these you know to their existence at the very least and, and for sure for sure not only not only yeah they actually know where these ufos have come from yeah. They know really? the actual star. Yeah. In a what? dual star. Yeah. They, that's what's trippy to me too. Like they actually know supposedly Yeah, where there's like eight or nine different planets within however many that, that could very easily sustain life, you know? No and, yeah. It's pretty, it's crazy. Right. Well, so, I know what I'm watching tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. It's really good. Um, I'll send you some other ones. See, you helped me with like educating myself about race and, and misogyny and I help you with aliens and aliens. You know, well, no, I told you this before um, and, and I'll reiterate it, but like, I, uh, I really appreciate it. You know, uh, uh, these are things that, um, that I've been exploring in myself um, for a long time, long time. but um it doesn't fucking matter how long it just matters that we're doing it. And I really appreciate, um, your, uh, you know, I think I told you, like I was, um, I hadn't listened to any of your podcast, uh, episodes. And the first one I listened to was your first conversation on race. And I told you like the, the first half hour, hour or so I was just like cringing, just like, Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. I was having a really hard time with it. Um, which is, you know, certainly like I need to keep my own righteousness in check um, a lot. And uh, I will readily admit that. But I really am humbled by um, and, and admire your willingness to like 
um, your you have a very like earnest yearning to learn and confront um, your own um, thoughts and feelings and prejudices and all these things. And um, if everybody had such a willingness and such a um, humble attitude, uh, it takes a lot to like do this process alone in private and to do it in public on camera or on audio, you know, on mic um is a is another thing entirely and so yeah um yeah i really uh appreciate what you're doing and uh and i'm excited to kind of see where it leads you know we like you know the i i know from my own experience that like um it like you said it's a lifelong process and and it it's a little bit like uh you know if you have any musician friends um who have like written, you know, written songs and that, or, or just like your journals, you know, you look back at your journals from 10 years ago and you're just like, Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe, yeah. you know, yeah. the things that I thought or the things that I said or the way that I said them. Yeah. And, um, and so the same is true for me now. Like I look back and I think when I was in, when I was in college, I thought I was like really woke and, um, and I'm, like I said, I'm in the middle of this reckoning right now where I'm really recognizing so many blind spots that I, even though I, I had the information and I knew better um, intellectually, I didn't recognize the ways that I had internalized these messages, particularly about masculinity and, um, and misogyny. Uh, I just didn't recognize where they were that they were showing up in my life and that I was perpetuating and holding up these structures and, um, and so, you know, every day is a new day and I think the work you're doing now will only compound. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate, you know, you, it, another thing you told me not long ago when we were talking about some of this was just that, um, you're able to, uh, I think that I have, I often turn to like guilt and shame when I'm processing this stuff, um, which is, um, which isn't productive. I think yeah. it's, it, it only makes things worse. Right. Um, and so I, that's another thing I really appreciate is that, and you helped me with that. Just, I think you just one sentence. Um, I said something about like, well, you don't need to feel guilty or shameful about X, Y, or Z. And you were like, Oh, I don't, I don't feel guilty. <laughs> I don't feel guilty about it. I'm just trying to be more aware of it. So I don't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's uh, such a healthy um, and admirable um approach yeah i appreciate it very very much and i think uh i mean I, I see that and i remember a lot of guys from high school and college and i looked at you and a bunch of your friends it's just like very woke very intelligent but i couldn't even have the conversation because i often felt not so much by you the other guys that i won't mention but just felt shamed just because i was not intelligent enough or not woke enough and didn't have the big enough words to use and that that to me frustrates me because i'm like I, underneath something, I get like, you're more proving how smart you are and mm -hmm. how, how dumb I am that I don't even want to have the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And so I get a lot of opportunities now these days, and I really only want to have the conversation with those that have the humility and the empathy to know that I'm like, man, I'm just starting off with this conversation. So just like pretend like I don't know anything, yeah. but bear with me. Um, whereas when I see a lot of people who are white and then shaming other white people, 
on social media, you know, saying, don't friend me, or you're not going to be my friend if you're not anti-racist. I'm like, man, there's so many people that like, I just don't feel like that's the best approach to bring people with love into the conversation Mm -hmm. versus creating more division, you know? So it takes, it takes courage on my part, but also takes a lot of humility and, and empathy on your part and everyone else who have been doing this, like, and just black people in general, like I've been living this, there's anger there. We've been living this for generations and now you're just now getting, I'm like, yes, I'm sorry, but it is what it is. Either accept me where I'm at and help me or you're just not the right person to support me with this conversation, you know? So testament to you too, because you've helped me and like, you know, like how little I know, you know, probably with some of the, the faux pas I say, or things that don't totally line up with how you know that I think mm-hmm. as I'm still trying to figure this out. And that's kind of the nice thing. And I think about it too, in terms of just relationships. Like if I think about where my relationships were 10 years ago or 20 years, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I said that, or I did that. That just goes to show how we evolve and thank God we can have <laughs> love for ourselves in forgiving the, the younger version or less mature version of ourselves. That's yeah. just where I'm like, you know what? Like everyone deserves that type of love and understanding as we're having these conversations about anything that I talk yeah. about on the podcast, you know? So I appreciate you for recognizing that too. And I hope this is the first of many conversations about deep things and not so deep things like aliens. And <laughs> totally, you know, we can talk about uh, various other journeys so to speak yeah 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 i think that'd be a fun fun one to get into so yeah always down for that too yeah yeah but anyways thank you for taking some time out of your morning hanging with me and um sharing sharing your stories and love with with the world so if people wanted to connect with you in any which way what would be one way that they could reach out to you if they wanted to further any of these conversations with you one-on-one um i am uh you're all over social media. I mean, you're huge on social media. <laughs> um, I, you can visit my website, uh, my, my birth, birth worker website, which is evolvebirth.com. Cool. Um, or I'm just, the, the dad's project that I am starting. I literally just made my first post yesterday. Awesome. Um, you can find me on Instagram at uh, dad equals. Dad equals. Dad equals. Awesome. Awesome. And if you're in the Seattle area, um, mm-hmm. contact Jason because you'll be planning events and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Getting, getting dads, other other dads together to talk dad stuff. Yeah. 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 My hope is, uh, you know, next summer, if we're, if the world is stopped burning, I, I want to have, <laughs> you know, I want to look out at center field, a Mariners game and see 30 dads out there with babies strapped to their chest and not a mom in sight. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you again for for hanging with me. Of course, brother. Yeah, good chat. You too. We'll talk soon. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.